Alice Cooper. Hey, this is Justin from NSYNC. This is Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, hey, baby. Publishers look gay. Oh. Hi, this is Jack. Just back up from the border for a short visit. You know what I'm talking about, pal? Hi, how are you? My name's John Teague, and welcome to another edition of The Horse's Mouth. You're in The Horse's Mouth. Thank you for being in here. So today on the show, we have Graham Jonas, who's backed by popular demand. Um, And Graham is a political beast, a political powerhouse at the moment. Um, He's all about it. And it's great. He's really got something to chew off on and it's in the field that he loves. So um, so nonetheless, uh, I mean, we, we have a yarn about this and that. But at the moment, he's heavily campaigning with our local uh independent for south Barland, damien cole so um so graham has a head full of 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 that sort of stuff so um that's what you're in for uh man i just saw this thing today on elon musk and joe rogan having a chat on ai i mean i didn't really think about ai before today and now i've got something else to worry about uh other than my coffee intake it's it's fuck i don't even know what an ai is what is it a robot that looks like a human that walks around or is it a fucking a robot that's like a germ under the table that's smarter than all of us i mean i don't even know i don't know but what i do know is when i saw elon musk talk about it and since doing a little bit more research that it is quite a worry that we could create something that could decide that it doesn't like us and and just for the sake of progress, we are opening or about to open Pandora's box. I mean, it's it's frightening. It, it what what he was saying was that either you're either going to be aligned with it or against it. And there's not like the the one thing is that we just don't know how it's going to go. Why the fuck does anyone want to push on with that kind of stuff i don't really know anyway fun 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 um i hope you enjoy the chat with graham i hope you're doing well faring well wherever you are on this um on this ball this 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 uh this little marble floating through space hope you're having a good time anyway uh see you on the other side till then ta-ta wait till you hear two hours of crap so um it's been a while since you've been in the horse's mouth graham and you're backed by a popular demand apparently yeah apparently you won't disclose the 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 one or two listers <laughs> who apparently make up <laughs> no, my no, demand I have, a, I have a fair few more than one or two these days i'm not saying you don't have plenty of listers john don't be sensitive about that i'm suggesting that the demand for me May be overstated by you. No, Graham. No, Graham. Twitter is lighting up. <laughs> uh, so you know, I learnt yesterday that the word "grey man," you know, it's an, a military term. No. So the grey man. I learnt this yesterday, and the grey man is the guy in SAS training. Yeah. So when they're doing it and they're going through all the arduous, grueling things mm. and they're seeing the guys who are winning each stage and who's following at the back and the grey man is the guy that when they get to the end and they're processing all the information, they go, who the fuck is that guy? 
the guy they never noticed. He just came in and all of them, not at the front, but not at the back. And they're the guy that they want for the special ops. They're looking for the gray man. For real? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> How do they spell this gray man? G-R-A-Y-M-A-N. Same as mine? Yeah. All right. I don't know how they spell it, but I'm guessing that's how they would. I mean, is there any other way to spell it? <laughs> you had me. You didn't have to fucking qualify it. <laughs> so I found that pretty interesting. I couldn't wait to tell you that. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, that's another career for another lifetime. Yeah. But I wouldn't mind. Those guys go through some shit, but I suppose they seem to do it with a passion and a I listened to a thing this purpose. morning on Jocko. Jocko. Jocko's that Marine dude. He's got a podcast as well and he's always on um you know, like he's on Joe Rogan, he's on the um Tim Ferris, he's mm-hmm. he's one of those dudes who came out of the military, two tours of Afghanistan and then wrote a bunch of books. He's even got kids' books. <laughs> he's a fucking blockhead, <laughs> like massive dude. And he's got kids' books actually. I thought that was a bit of a stretch, but um Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I was listening to him talk to I don't know what he's talking about, but he he got on the topic of discipline. Yeah, oh, I just love it. For sorry, this is not for kids. This is his. Well, I think that they they would be telling kids that yeah, discipline from a young age. But he's oh, just saying really? discipline is the foundation of everything. Oh, you know, having that first mental argument of getting up at four thirty. I don't want to get out of bed. Yeah. The pillow's comfy. Out we pop. Wow, that's Are quite you, controversial you, these days. What discipline? Discipline and young. People, I was going to say young men, but young people um, facing some sort of difficulty in life and, you know, rather than being coddled physically and emotionally and mentally and said, you know, it's all right, it's not your fault. Um, you don't have to take the trash out tonight. You don't have to play in the park because it's too dangerous. I don't know. You don't have to listen to your teacher. You don't have to listen to your teacher. You have rights. You don't have, you can divorce us as parents if you want. <laughs> They, she did it on Ozark. Which kid? The daughter divorced the parents in Ozark. Have you not seen the I last saw, season two? No, nah, I just saw season one. Oh, sorry, sorry, spoiler alert, but it's on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, no, I, I, like I always get very motivated when I hear these dudes. You know, discipline is the structure and the foundation of all successful. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, and I just get oh yep until tomorrow morning if I set my alarm at four thirty. There's no fucking way I'm getting up. Yeah. Like. Well, that probably doesn't reflect a lack of discipline on your part. It's more you've got this body clock cycle, which is late night, early morning. Sorry, late night, late morning. Yeah, but is it? I think every time that I've been in a ritual of getting up early, it's never become easy. You've never developed the habit through effort? No. It's always been... mm. And and I and I beat myself. I used to beat myself up about it, mm. like oh, I'm I'm lazy. I'm you know inherently I'm lazy. Mm. <laughs> I can't. But I no, you're not. You're being self-deprecating. You're not a lazy. No, I don't think viewers out there. I don't think I am lazy. But I, it's taken me a while to accept my patterns. Right. And then when I listen to someone like Jocko or Jocko, whatever his name is, mm. and I think I want to be the SAS dude. I right. want to be the disciplined guy that gets up at 4.30 and goes to the gym at 6 and, you know, has breakfast by 8.30 and, you know, maps out the day and just conquers. Fucking, that ain't happening really, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I just got off the phone to a bloke. Yeah. Who goes, I'm a right-wing, John, I'm a right-wing um, conservative. Um, yeah, I'm a right-wing conservative who just wants to see people happy. 
Okay. Now, I, I, I started laughing when he said that, and I probably shouldn't have because I was trying to get work from him. Mm. And uh, I said, okay, no worries. <laughs> it took me a, while, a second to compute what he said. No worries, mate. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm so a, you, you're calling up this guy trying to pitch for business yeah. and he gives you this sort of philosophical spiel of being, I'm a right-wing conservative and I just want to make people, see people happy. How did that conversation get towards that statement? He said, what, what are you, um, what's your package worth? Uh-huh. And I told him and he goes, okay, cool. All right. Well, and then said that I'm a right-wing conservative and I just want to see people happy. And... Um, what does that mean? I don't know. That's why I laughed. I was just like, yes. Anyway, does he mean he wants to, he wants to pay you for your solid labours? He wants to. I don't know he what wants to that meant. I just the... it was such a random closing comment that I just I was kind of like, you are one quirky motherfucker. Fuck man, election fever is floating around the town. Yeah, already. So Graham. Yeah. Um, you've just got back from three months in Mexico. Yes. Yes. I have had three fun-filled months in Mexico. Let me tell you how I ended up in Mexico. How did you end up in Mexico, Graham? About five years ago, yeah. you came back from Mexico. Uh, and one day we'll do a little podcast about your experience. However, you told me a lot about it. It sounded pretty awesome. And year after year, I thought, I've got to go and do that. And so finally, I just said, all right, I'll go and do it. So I did. Spent three months on the beach at Nick, uh, can I say it? And a beach in Mexico. So did you sit, what was it? You were here in Victoria and you thought, I can't do another winter like this? No. No? No, I don't mind the winters. I, I kind of like the cold water. In fact, my biggest fear about going to Mexico for three months was the warm water. Um, but I just needed to change things up, that's all. So yeah. it was a good way to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So you flew to LA and then down to Zihuatanejo and then drove a few hours to a spot in the Michigan. Yes. And um and did you feel safe? Yeah. The whole time. <laughs> I had a few adventures. Yeah. Um Yeah, I had a few adventures. Um some I'll talk about, some I won't. But there's just a you know, we've all been on surf trips, we've experienced that. I I, I just I, I'm trying to think of something that's sort of extraordinary from my experience that's going to be interesting like you know, we can all tell stories, but you've you've done everything that I've done there, and then some. Maybe some people listening have as well. So I don't want to bore them with the average detail. Yeah, but maybe some of them haven't. Okay. You know, like obviously there was. You know, you found yourself in precarious situations at night where you didn't want to be somewhere <laughs> at night. <laughs> all right, this one. There's a couple of things that people told me. I think, including you. Whatever you do in Mexico, do not drive after dark. Do not mess with the women of Mexico, i.e. the women. None of them. Huh? None of them. Well, they all have, yeah. they don't have husbands or boyfriends. They have fathers and brothers and cousins and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah, the familiar. So, the familiar. So th I'm sure there's ways to navigate it, but there's also inherent risk in navigating it. So, mm -hmm. you know, choose, choose. There's some people over there that swear black and blue. Come here. Just trunch it up on the Norwegian girl, an American girl, an Italian girl, a Canadian girl, blah, blah, blah. Stick to that and you're fine. Others who say, you know what, I can handle it, I can do it. Me, I keep it simple. 
I'm not going to drive at night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm not going to mess with the Mexican women. Yeah, that was the plan. Yes, good. The best laid plans get undone. Really, you got stuck at night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I became pals with this Aussie kid and his Canadian girlfriend, who had been travelling around the countryside for months in their van. North to south. Or just uh, south to north, I guess. Yeah, coming from the, from the centrals. Yeah, yeah, or at least deep southern Mexico. Yeah, and uh, he was heading back to Oz or UK or something. So she's going to drive him to the nearest big town, an hour away. Put him on a bus to Mexico City to catch his plane, have their tearful farewell, and then she'd drive back to the beach town we're at. And I came along for the ride and sort of moral support and to be her company driving back it's all good as happens with 23 or 23 year old canadian chicks everything was fucking delayed you know scheduled tango teague would have been very upset with it tardiness tardiness we get to the main town late we get to the bus stop late you weren't driving pardon you weren't driving we were in her van oh in a van yeah yeah Oh, sorry, we're oh t- you were to get dropping off. Dropping off the yeah. Aussie kid at, the, yeah. at yeah. the bus stop. The tearful farewell took about two hours as I sat in the car watching the sunset and the rain come and then a political parade started cascading down the street, hundreds of vehicles waving flags, throwing T-shirts around. It's all sort of fun and game. Surprised you didn't get involved. Oh, I got some t- <laughs> I definitely picked up a free T-shirt and a backpack. Okay, yeah, cool. I thought it was pretty funny giving the gringo the Mexican political uh, gear. Anyway, so by the time that my young Canadian friend got back in the car, it was dark, it was storming rain, we were stuck in a traffic jam of mega proportion, and we hadn't even started the drive back. So we, off we go. She's in tears. I'm like, I don't know what the hell I've... 45 and a half year old guy says to a 23 year old girl who's in tears it's like uh it's okay <laughs> he gets better he he sucked it wasn't worth it um, this will happen a few times along the way yeah, yeah. anyway so if we go this car this van is a piece of shit the tires are bald the roads are covered in water um it's got an airbag on this on the dash so maybe that works i don't know oh it's pretty modern oh it was probably not a combi no no it's somewhat modern. So we drive, we drive, we drive. It's pitch black and I am literally, everything's going through my head. You know, this this is how it ends, you know. I've, I've heard some pretty bad stories out of Mexico, one of which came from you, and I'm breaking the cardinal rule. Um, <clears throat> and uh, Well, it didn't end too well for those poor Aussies coming from north to south. Right. Night. They were in a different area, I think. They were, yes, but... Nonetheless, Minji Khan's pretty famous for being pretty hot. Right. Anyway, carry on. So we're driving down this road. As we got out of the main town and headed towards where we're heading, you get to a section where for you know, the bulk of the journey, it's in pitch black. Um, there's no one around. You see cars every now and again at best. Um, they have these mad speed humps on the road, which if you don't know the road, you can't see the things. Tope. Tope. Yeah, putes topes. <laughs> So you can't go particularly fast, and you don't want to go fast anyway because the car's not really roadworthy, the tyres are bald. And um, I would see a, a set of car lights up ahead, for example, and you don't know whether to feel relief or fear. Is that, does it bode ill, well or ill? Is it another car? Is it a gangster? Is it a roadblock? 
all the while as I'm freaking out thinking this is the end, she's telling me stories about threesomes and lesbianism and this sort of stuff. And I'm, you know. After so, the tears comes the stories. Yeah. They're great. I should have been fascinated, but I was just like... Yeah, too fearful. This is how it ends, you know, fucking lesbian stories and bandits. <laughs> anyway, so we got home. No worries. Nobody bothered us. It was all good, but... What time good. did you get in? Maybe 11. Oh, uh, yeah, that's late enough. That's late in Mexico. Yeah. Shit shuts down at sunset, mm. which is late, but sort of 8.30, 8.30. Um, so three months in this small space, mm. Mm. you got to know everyone pretty intimately. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean it like that. I don't mean like, you know, you're gonna golden rule number two, yeah. Mexican women, don't do it. And then golden rule number three, don't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean like you got to know everybody in the place quite well and the way pretty good. And so what were, what were the, some struggles that you had when you were there? It's, it's kind of say it's really wonderful and weird to talk to you about it john teague why because yes. the only reason i was there yep. was you told me such great things about it yep. and you had such a great experience yeah so you as the host of the show are asking me to give you my experience which followed in the shadow of your experience and i know we're speaking to the listeners but i'm not a pro at this game i'm just you know no i know but the podcast is uh you know your experience not yeah. mine Mm. And um, I'm here to facilitate your story, so mm. I just think of me as a slave, <laughs> <laughs> just part of the computer equipment. Just like you know, um, no, and it's fascinating for me to hear too, because you, yeah. everybody who goes to the same, if, even if I went back now yeah. and I went to try and replicate that great yeah. time, I just wouldn't. I'd yeah. have a whole brand new set of difficulties, yeah. whole new brand set of like good times and and things that you know mm. I'd be pissed that this had changed, but this is there. Yeah, you know. So like to hear your perspective mm. of it's everyone's gonna have a different. Yeah. Um, it was really interesting. In fact, one of the most fascinating things that I found about it was the intersection of three different things. You know, I love to sort of talk politics and follow politics. There's a lot of Americans there, um, all of a particular type. They all seem to be involved in the drug trades, some way, shape, or form, um, legal and illegal. You know, it's all legal now. And I would enjoy asking the average person I got to know, you know, what's going on in your country? What do you think of the presidential situation and whatnot? And it was a pretty even mix of those who were vehemently, angrily upset about who their president is and how he behaves mm -hmm. and they would not be shy about really spouting off about it yep. but then the other half um when i say half is not a huge sample set but a you know a handful of people the other handful of people would say you know what the economy is booming um we don't really like his style but we kind of like what he's getting done so there's a lot of people making a lot of money right now economy is killing it and people like that um, yeah, people like money. People like money, and they elect a, a government to actually look after their economic interest as well as others. But economics pretty high in the high in the high in the list. And it was a good sort of reflection to see because I think in Australia, I think generally Australians are pretty disgusted at what goes on over there, and we kind of understand. The it's a little bit of the what is it, the pot calling the kettle black. 
Yeah. Like, if we're disgusted, look at our own fucking political system mm-hmm. where I go away for five weeks to come back <laughs> and I don't even know who the prime minister is. Right. I, I still don't. I think I said this the other day. Someone told me and I've forgotten again already because it changes so much. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I had to get that. Yeah. Well, those who... I mean, but he, the point I was trying to make is... Yes, sorry. you sort of saying our political system sucks just like theirs sucks. But the truth is half the country over there doesn't think their system sucks. That was what I saw. Mm, mm-hmm. He obviously got elected, so... And even though they have this electoral college system, blah, blah, approximately half the country supports him. Approximately half the country's mad with rage that he has that role. And, you know, I saw the other half, you know. It's not something we see in this part of the world. So it took you to go all the way to Mexico to see this, have this epiphany? No, I was not aware of it before. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting to see it in person. Yeah, yeah. And I also dropped by San Diego. I have two very good friends who I met one through the other years ago and to sort of see them again in person was interesting because they actually are no longer friends because of a political split because of the state of the presence in the US and one of them is a is a serious conservative republican and trump supporter the other is a serious democrat and you know nobody's a hillary supporter anymore but now i'm guessing i know who one is yeah. is the other one the bigger dude with the slick hair yeah Wow, they don't talk? No. They don't talk because of the Trump. Well, that was the start of it. Obviously, ego and sort of somebody offended somebody, but that was the core of it, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, maybe if that represents what's going on in the country, it's pretty fucking serious. Yeah, well, I think it, it is a pretty good representation of what, you know. But here's the craziness of it all. So yeah, another sorry. friend of mine who is, his parents are Trump supporters. Right. He doesn't really give a shit either way. Yeah. But then a friend, a mutual friend of theirs, his mother, yeah. said, I fucking hate all fucking Trumps, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and because he couldn't take it any one or the other, but his parents are Republicans, mm. he takes that as a personal fuck you. Doesn't right. say anything. But nonetheless, mm. because of what she said, it's like that's an attack on my parents who they grew up Republicans and Republicans are just probably, they're just, that's who they are now. They're not yeah. going to change just because of that. Blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. yeah, it divides. It's dividing. Mate, we'll have another civil war in a second. Well, it's as dividing as anybody wants to make it. Like, one thing that shits me in this political discourse is this term divisive. Oh, you're being divisive. And as far as I can tell, the people who use the term divisive, they use that term to describe somebody who has a point of view different to theirs. Your view is divisive. Why? It challenges mine. It challenges mine. I think it's a pretty fucking pretty weak argument to make against somebody. Like if you want to, if you really disagree with somebody, have the debate. If the other person doesn't want to step up and discuss it in a civil fashion, then okay, call them divisive, call them whatever you want. But unless they're going to step up, it's just a weak rhetorical trick to say it's divisive. It's like you know, there's a whole laundry list of slurs that people pull out of their back pocket these days. Right. While we're in this little realm, yeah. um, when I was down there, do you know who I bumped into? When you were where? Down in Mexico. Yeah. Uh, our mutual friend in San Diego's ex-girlfriend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> who had scaled down what building? The hotel on Central Park. Uh, Pierre, Prince. It's a famous hotel mm. overlooking Central Park. Mm. Yeah. So um, what did that banner say? 
Was it oil related or? Ah, oh, it was a good one. No, I thought it was politically driven. Yeah. It was a good one. It was. I, I don't but, remember, but I remember the incident. Um, anyway, she showed up down there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just found that the whole, uh, a massive trip that like someone who I'd met in a brief span in New York would show up at such a remote place in Mexico. Oh, really? It was there you saw her? Yeah. The place that cannot be named on live radio? Yeah. 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 So, um, and then so I got to ask her because you know she's politically driven. I think she went into <laughs> she got into law as well and politics. Yeah, she was a lawyer who went to Washington D.C. to work in politics. Yeah. So I got to ask her if nine eleven and all that was a conspiracy and shit. And she said the government couldn't fucking organize a a route in a brothel. And um, how the fucking lulia, whatever the word is. Seriously, that's the biggest knock against conspiracy theorists. And it's the most accurate statement I've ever heard. Yeah. The government cannot organise... No, the government cannot, but maybe the CIA could. Have you read a book on the history of the CIA, which maybe was written by the CIA, but it's called Legacy of Ashes. And it recounts the, the formation, the history, the modern history of the CIA, and all their fuck-ups. They probably didn't write it because it's actually so embarrassing, but... You look at that and you think the CIA couldn't do it. Either. The CIA were going to fly planes from the direction of Cuba and bomb their own country to go to war with Cuba a while ago. That was that's been documented. I wouldn't put it past them. So therefore, then if that was a uh, possible, but that's a moral analysis, not a, a a capability analysis. They're the sort of guys that will be tardy. They'll be late to the podcast. They'll be late to their own fucking bombing bombing campaign. <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell. I want Cuba bombed at 0900. <laughs> oh, sorry, boss. So what does that mean? They party? The CIA party? <laughs> I don't know. Um, so anyway, sorry, I, I, I digress, but I found while we're on that topic of San Diego, that, that gang of people that I bumped into her at that spot where yeah. you were. Yeah. Random. Random and awesome. Yeah, I did love it. I did love it, but I couldn't help but think that she was in on it as well. So She drove our buddy crazy when they were dating crazy crazy in what way well because she was right and he was left nah they were both left as they come but maybe she was more left yeah she wanted to spend her life sort of saving the world well she spent a long time at cloud break did she yeah she did her thesis or something at cloud break on the logistics of the law, the, the you know, whatever the law was of how they owned the wave, uh, blah, blah, blah. She did it. Really? Like, yeah, yeah. The legal sort of philosophy of a private surf break. Yes. So she did a thesis on that and lived there for ages. And um, and as a surfer, I mean, that's a pretty good fucking... Could you buy into that? Like if you... Sort uh, of... I would buy into it as a, like, I just, as a cop that I'm just going to go and spend some time at Cloud Break. Yeah. But if you somehow owned a section of reef down here this yeah. way and yeah. it was by luck by lottery by inheritance it was yours john teagues yeah your philosophy of sort of loving caring sharing surfer could you sort of surf there with guys 100 meters down the beach with 30 bit guys on a peak but just you and me on your peak no anyone can <laughs> surf it before nine o'clock <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I don't get. I don't believe in the whole. I own the reef. I don't think that anyone can own. You know, even if you owned it, like it's easy to say that no, when you don't own. No, who fucking thing. owns anything? Really? I mean, land. I kind of understand. I do and I don't. I can get on both sides of that track. I get it. But when it comes to ocean, I'm a bit of a pirate. 
It's like, okay, international waters, that's for the people. The people who? Like, that's a really good question. Something's been bouncing around my brain. You've surfed and lived in this area for decades now, apart from sojourns overseas and around the place. You've seen more and more people share this wonderful natural resource which belongs to all of us. At some point, you know, you drive away, as you did from Winky Pop the other night. You take a look and it's a beautiful sunny day and it's two and a half foot offshore, beautiful, beautiful waves. And you look at the crowd and you drive away. How do you reconcile that with this sharing, caring, you know, it's a natural resource that belongs to us all attitude. Well, I, I struggle. I am struggling at the moment. Mm. I really am. I left America for a reason, mm. and um, and, and I have an, a love and affinity with this area, mm. and it's it's becoming a memory, even though there are moments of beauty and absolute joy that I get from living here. Mm. But then I have other moments of sheer frustration. Mm. And one of them was driving the ocean road back from today. There was six, I think it was six groups of individual roadworks that was stopping traffic between the roundabout out there near the, um, on the way to Anglesey and Geelong. Okay. I went the back way back in. And it was just, but I mean, look, that's nothing. That's just fuck. But I don't understand what the question is. But when you say it's <laughs> nothing, like what I'm sort of saying is there's, Surfers love to speak out both sides of their mouths. One, this is a beautiful natural resource that belongs to all of us who want to share it. On the other side of the mouth, fuck, it's crowded. Who are all these people? Where'd they come from? Right. And to try and reconcile that sort of, that point of view. Hold on. We're we here. You've what? driven this. You've driven this. I see what you're doing. You've driven this around. I wanted to stay with you in Mexico for a while. <laughs> All right. Can we go back to San Diego then? Yes. But no, I want to come back to this because okay. this is a whole different, this is a chapter tying into a certain period of your life right now. It's and your show, John. That's right, Graham. And I see where you're railroading me here. <laughs> I can see you've come in here with a loaded mind. <laughs> no, man. I came here at 80 miles an hour trying to get here because I was late and I felt so bad. Oh, and my yeah, brain yeah. hasn't settled yet. Okay, the okay. ginger tea only did so much. <laughs> All right, back to San Diego, yeah, carry on. Okay, so two guys who are very good friends of mine who I spent a lot of time with in their hometown, well, in their town of San Diego. Yes. They do not speak anymore. One is a staunch Republican, one is a staunch Democrat. Yep. Now, they're just, they're, they're, the, the fault in their friendship has occurred because of political issues, but, you know, let's not hide it. There's a lot of ego as well and sort of human incivility. But they're both super good guys, like they're good people, and they're good friends. When I sit down and discuss politics with these guys, the staunch Republican and the staunch Democrat, mm -hmm. the staunch Democrat, I agree with 80, 85% of his political points of view. And the other 15%, yeah, I'm not that far away on. Maybe that's normal for an Australian because we're very centre of the road politically. But then I go speak to my Republican mate and I agree with 70% of his stuff. The other... 20%, yeah, I can sort of follow him. So, and 10%, I probably can't. Well, this is what I'm getting from this. You're an open-minded young man. Yeah, but I also, it also probably reveals that most of our disagreements involve tribalism and egotism. And there's a wonderful term that somebody coined, and it's the narcissism of minor differences, i.e. we look for a fight with somebody. Mm -hmm. We look for a point of difference. Instead of looking for the common ground, 
Instead of looking how we can be cooperative, we look to compete. You know, that's part of human nature to cooperate and compete. And I think we see that in Australian politics. Um, when I first came back to Australia from the US about five or six years ago, there was an election on and I got involved, not in the political process, but sort of in engaging in what was going on because I had a sister, in, an in-law, not be specific, an in-law who accused me of being a white, middle-aged, private schoolboy from the southeastern suburbs and what the fuck would I know about the suffering of refugees on Manus Island? And I was like, oh, you know, okay. But you were doing um, relief work at a detention facility in Melbourne, were you not? Well, that accusation from her prompted some of those actions. Uh, Oh, okay, so... That was the catalyst. Yeah, that was the catalyst. It was a bit up my ass. I thought, am I? Am I that sort of white, middle-aged, privileged, nonsense, blah, blah, blah? I don't know. You know, it's pretty stinging when somebody throws it at you. So I went away and read everything I could on the, on the situation that was going on, read all the policy documents. I started volunteering at the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre and working with people who are coming to Australia from all over the shop and people who come through Manus Island and Nauru and horror situations and not-so-horror situations. Um, I would do... I met some people and I became friends with some Sri Lankan guys who were literally behind razor wire in Maribyrnong Detention Centre. So I got pretty sharp on what was going on, you know? Mm-hmm. I could see the humanity of it. Mm-hmm. I could actually understand the policy uh, policy issues that were in play. And most... I mean, it's all heart... Run, heart you know... It tears your heart apart looking at what's going on there. However, what, you're... What? what is going on there? There's people who have been detained for how many years in right. Melbourne? There's one, this one guy who is considered... This is going back two years. He's considered one of the lucky ones because at least he was on Australian soil. In detention, but on Australian soil. He had been... He, was, he turned 30 and went to a big party for him in the detention centre, which is a story I'll get to. But he'd spent basically his entire 20s in detention. 10 years. 10 years. So some of it was on Mattis Island or Nauru or... I think he started at Christmas Island, went to Nauru and then ended up in Australia. And... And what are the numbers there? How many people are in Nauru? It's coming down, but it's still several hundred. I think overall it's a couple of thousand between Nauru and Manus. And what nationalities? A lot of Iranians. A lot of Syrians, a handful of Indians, Pakistanis, a lot of Sri Lankans, uh, Somalians. Now, these people, are they educated or are these people the people who are coming because they really have nothing and they're fleeing war and to survive they're leaving? You know what I mean? Like I believe Mm. that there's two different brackets happening. Yeah, yeah. So which are we seeing in those? It's it's important. I have my own sense of what's what, from what I saw. Okay, it's, let's just zero in and say, what about the thirty-year-old birthday boy, the lucky one? He, I consider him a friend. Yeah, you consider him. A, I like to say, you know, it's very easy to say he's a good person, he's a wonderful person, and he is. But the truth of it is, he's just a regular guy like you and me. You know, he's the Sri Lankan version of you and me. Good guy, bad guy, it's irrelevant. He's just a person with the hopes and dreams and aspirations and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. He, he was uh, claiming asylum based upon he's an ethnic Tamil and because of the legacy war between the Tamils and the Sinhalese, um, the war's over, but the recr- recriminations and animosity still exists to a certain extent. Well, like racism. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and more than that, like, you of know, course, yeah. Yep. But just as a. So he was claiming that he was being persecuted and he needed to leave. Um, he, f- he, and he put this in his asylum claim. Unfortunately, the way the asylum claim process works is if you say you're being persecuted by the Sinhalese majority, you say, well, okay, why are they targeting you? And they say, oh, well, because they suspect I was involved with the Tamil Tiger guerrilla movement. And whilst that might buttress your claim of being an asylum seeker, it also makes it easier to look at you and say, well, okay, you work for this military organisation or they, the Sinhalese think you did. Therefore, if you did, you might be there, be a some sort of sleeper sleeper or terror suspect or military-minded person or whatnot, and we're not sure if we want you on board. So they have to thread this fine line, and generally you say, well, I was suspected or accused of being, but actually I wasn't. I'm a clean skin, you know, there's nothing here. I will say that I got to know this guy. I never asked him directly. I knew his story, but I never said, look, is this true? Without... He was a good guy. He'd be a great Australian. He'd come here, work, he'd fucking do his... He'd do a job, he'd be a law-abiding guy, he'd try and come surfing, whatever. Um, he'd add to the crowds at Winky. Do I think he was a Tamil tiger? No. Do I think he was persecuted for being a suspected Tamil tiger? I will never know. I don't think so. He was just a regular guy looking for a better life. Right. So everyone's going through a 10-year, is he out? Is he in? What's going on? He's still in. Fucking hell. Yeah, so there's a whole undercurrent, and this doesn't seem to be backing off. But listen, can I just sorry, add to something? Yeah, of course. There's a lot of people out there in our community who will say that I'm a complete bastard for suggesting that he is not a persecuted asylum seeker with a legitimate fleeing from terror story. Fine, go ahead, say what you want. The fact that people like that are in the, in the process does not mean that others are not fleeing bombs and bullets and horror and terror right mm. discussion is more nuanced nuanced than open the damn borders and let everybody in or close the damn borders and don't let anybody in migrant flows irregular migrant flows into australia include folks who are 100 legitimate fleeing bullets it includes people who have the cash who just want to get a better life in a better country such as australia mm. which it is and god bless them too you and me would probably do it if we we're in their shoes absolutely and thirdly, there's another cohort of people which comes from both those first two groups who, on their way to Australia, end up in Malaysia and live in Australia for three, four, five, six, seven years before they save time to move down to Jakarta and get on a leaky boat to Australia. Sorry, they live in where? They live in Malaysia. Malaysia. First. Yes. So the whole, the whole story is so simplified and... and molded to suit the narrative whatever political party wants to argue about it on a certain day and i think we got onto this because i was going to say back in the day five years ago when there was an australian election you had this pissed me off five years later you had tony abbott saying i'll let in ten thousand refugees kevin rudd saying i'll let in twenty thousand and sarah hansen young of the Greens saying i'll let in thirty thousand and each told the other they were a complete moron and yeah they were heartless and blah and the other side was stupid the reality was those three numbers are so minuscule in the scheme of the scale of the need and the want and the problem that it's the narcissism of minor differences that they think they can argue about it right but 
aren't we denying the fact that there's a larger problem being what the instability in certain countries that create these migrant flows or well, economic being, flows that being one i would say and then the other one would be i would say population global ah or yes back to this crowd at winky pop well, I mean, I don't want to live in such a bubble, but I do appreciate that the world, Winky Pop may be a reflection of a larger problem. Everybody wants to come to Winky Pop. Everybody. <laughs> Saw some big boats hanging out around out the back last week. There's a Korean freighter off the, freighter off the coast. Um, no. Drugs um, and surfers. Do you know what I mean, though? Like, this is... So, therefore, we, we are at a tipping point or we're past a tipping point of maybe, maybe not. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll only know after the fact. Like, okay, great. When it's too late. Yeah. So cross our fingers it's not too late, but I don't know. But it feels like, so, okay, uh, now here we go. It feels like here on, on, the, on the coast, mm. which used to be such a, a backwater, <laughs> quiet yeah. place except for summertime and yeah. a little bit Easter, yeah. is now just feels saturated. Yeah. It's busy. It's like there's... It, and, and I feel it makes me feel that I feel that I don't like it very much mm-hmm. it makes me feel oh am I just like grumpy and am I just like mm. um, you know anti-progress am mm. I just like living in a time gone by mm. which I am obviously a romanticism of how things w- were a bit more well let me ask you a question do you think that you as an individual as a member of this society have a right to have a voice and maybe an opinion and maybe a vote on what you see going around on around you in your community, the rate of change or the type of change or any change at all. Do I feel like I have the right? Should you have a right? And do you feel you have that right? Well, I mean, it's a free country, right? Okay. So, but I feel like things are moving too fast for anything that I have to say to do anything about you feel powerless in the face of whatever's going on and whatever's causing it completely yeah well that's kind of what the drop of water said to the flood oh here we fucking go (laughs) sorry (laughs) fucking hell don't give me this shit but I I fucking sorry about that look (laughs) I've been practicing that for days and the delivery was just shit oh god listen Noah where's the ark fucking here's what's going on can I can I tell you what's going on of course. What I think is going on? Yeah, you tell us what the fuck is going on. This is what's going on. The problem that you're experiencing in Torquay with the rate of change, the rate of population growth... It's also on a global scale. It's not just Torquay. It's everywhere yeah. is feeling okay. this. Yeah, It's going on everywhere. Well, let's start local and build it to global. It's going on in Torquay. It's going on in Barwon Heads. It's going on in Anglesey. It's going on at Aries Inlet. It's going on at... Any, co- any coastal town around here, and it's going on in Melbourne, it's but going that, on in that, Sydney, be, it's going on in Brisbane. Re- this, is this a reflection of overcrowding in Melbourne or is this a reflection of an agenda that we're not aware of? Uh, well, Melbourne's part of, this, part of the chain of events and the agenda behind it, you know, I've got a few theories. Mm. But let me st- can we start with Torquay? Sure, let's go, yeah. This coastline is gorgeous. The waves are wonderful. And for those reasons, it's always going to have a pull factor. People in this country, it's a free country. We can move around. People will always want to come here. That hasn't changed in the last 50, 60, 100 years. Mm. Certainly, there's been more scale 
of infra- of sort of town and infrastructure here, maybe more jobs, which has made it more attractive. So the pool has increased, but steadily over the years and not incredibly so. What's changed in the last 10 or 15 years is the push factor. So people are pulled, but they're also pushed. The people who are pushed to come here, the folks who live in Melbourne, in a city that is overcrowded, the roads are congested, house prices are through the roof, you can't get you get into the local school, you can't get the kid in the local daycare, you can't get an appointment with the local doctor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All the same shit that anyone from Melbourne will tell you. Mm-hmm. So the pull factor, which is also, you know, push so- and pull, call it carrot and stick, the stick is fucking big and it's beating hard on people in Melbourne. That's the push? Yeah, that's the push. <laughs> Did I call it pull? I don't know. Whatever. No, 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 I'm just confirming. Yeah, the push. Yeah, yeah the stick. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. Don't fuck with me, John. Oh, this listening. means a lot to me. Yeah, I'm, let's go. Let's go. And those people, that's what you've seen change in the last 10 or 15 years, the push from Melbourne. Okay. So then why is Melbourne like that? Melbourne's like that because, as we all know, it's been in the press and in the public arena and a lot of politicians are beginning to talk about it, particularly this little party called Sustainable Australia. They say that for the last 10 years, our population growth which is primarily made up of immigration, not entirely, but primarily, has been supercharged because back in the day, 10 years ago, Johnny Howard decided for his own reasons, some say it's because he wanted to break the unions. Um, Others say that the left side of politics supported it because they wanted to break white male privilege culture by creating a a broader multicultural society. Who knows, you know? Who knows? the white male... But we've always been a pretty multicultural society. Really? Well, you know, we have the largest. We've had the largest uh, community of Greeks outside of Greece for a long time. Yeah, that's true. And but I guess the definition of multicultural evolves over time. When the the Catholics first arrived in Australia, I guess there's always Catholics, but as they sort of grew in number, they were considered of a different culture and multiculturalism was Catholics and Protestants living side by side. Well, you'd have to say, well, that would be an embracing of the Aboriginal culture too and we never really did that very successfully. Well, I think because they were so overwhelmed by the numbers of new arrivals. Who, the uh, Aboriginals? Yeah, the Indigenous Australians. They were, we were, to consider Australia multicultural in the year 1822 was, there's a lot of white people and a few Aboriginal people and not really living side by side. I don't know. Oh no! Fuck no! 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 I was being a little bit tongue in cheek. Okay. And I was saying, you know, we can't ever really call ourselves a multi because we, we were the lack of acceptance from early on. Ah. Well, you, so I was. But yeah, you, I get. You said we've always been multicultural. You went back yes, to Greek yes, history yeah, and this yeah. history and like. I guess we've always been multicultural, but once the Protestants and Catholics decided to get along, we we're a bunch of white people to any external observer. Yeah, of course. Yes. And then. After World War Two, Mediterranean migrants came, the Greeks, Italians, and so forth. Yep. And there's probably a bit of, I don't know, ethnic tension, multicultural tension when they first come along. But then after some time, settle in, kids play footy and speak with a bogan accent like the rest of us settle in. Again, it's just a bigger pool of white people at that point mm-hmm. to the external observer. Then you start getting new arrivals from Southeast Asia, and the process starts again, a multicultural, you know, 
angst or anxiety or tension. Mm-hmm. And then a generation or two later, you know, they speak Bogan Lozzie like the rest of us. They play AFL footy. They're white people as well. Hey, or, they're all right. Or they're, yeah, they're all right now. You're one of us. Or we're all Aussies or whatever the, whatever the hell we say. Yeah. Then you get the next wave of migration. Mm-hmm. And if it's uh, brown people from India, Muslim people from the Middle East, and then there's tension there. And each new cohort of arrivals brings an ethnic tension which everybody says we've never seen before. This is all new to us. Is it new? Is it different this time? I have no idea. But people who have lived through past waves say it's no different. In fact, a, a Greek mate of my dad says, you know what, I was so happy when the Vietnamese boat people started arriving in the 80s. Why? Because we were all of a sudden Aussies now. We weren't the new guys. Kind of like being at the beach in Nexper. You start to feel proprietal about your little place on the beach and in the lineup mm-hmm. only when the next new guy arrives. Mm-hmm. Until then, you're the new guy. Mm-hmm. You stick out. Yep. Mm. No, I get it. Yeah. So anyway, so we're, what's causing all this? Johnny Howard had his little agenda. The left and their globalization, no borders had their agenda, blah, blah, blah. Either way, we've been enduring it for the last 10 years. We can't get a clear stat on what the actual number of coming in is it might be 200 it might be 250 it might be more it might be less how do you count the numbers you know there's some people don't count foreign students some people do are you with me i'm losing you yeah just as <laughs> fuck man I, just, I, <laughs> I don't know i don't know where this is going mm. this like, conversation or this nation both this world both Thr- thrice thress because you know like once again, you asked me if I felt like I uh, do. Do I have a say? Do I have any? Do I have a vote? Yeah, whatever. Throw away vote. Give it to Demo. Love it. I hope. And you know what I really think. But we, my, what I was trying to say then was is when you start going on like that, mm. I, I just get like, what I have. I feel powerless. Right. You know. Yeah. I feel like well there's a bigger thing happening here and I, I really need to just um, get about my day yeah. because the government or whoever is going to do whatever they want and they're moving in a direction that's it's hard for us to do anything about. Mm. And, mm. you know, and, and look, like what happened with Trump, mm. I really think this could happen with Damo mm-hmm. because people like myself who don't vote, mm. who are sick and tired of moving in a certain direction and feeling hopeless, mm. suddenly there's someone like Damo mm. who who offers almost, uh, he's got a glow about him and he seems like us. Yeah. And he could almost push the tide a little bit. Yeah. Capture the imagination of those who have been felt who felt let down by the system or silenced by the system. I don't want to play the victim and say I feel let down, but I just feel like how like i'm i'm not how can we sustain this movement the way that this is going Mm. and you've been to orange county Mm. and so have i Mm. and probably most of the people that are listening have too and Mm. that's what it feels like is going to become here we're just going to be orange county and it doesn't matter how beautiful your coastline is Mm. if you saturate that yeah it doesn't matter where in the world with too many people it loses its inherent beauty. Mm. And now you're going to have 
people, pollution, but and I know that the world is growing and that's the only way that we can sustain the economy the way that they have it structured right now. But what I'm so lost and confused about is why does it have to be structured that way? Right. And that's why I've never voted because this continual like growth, growth yeah. is flawed. Right. Yeah. Well, there's, there's political parties out there new political parties that reflect your concern and are busting their nut. Regular folks who do this in their spare time, busting their nut to try and change the system. And they get out and they spend their money, their time, begging for people like you and me just to throw them a $10 donation, a vote. That's all they ask for. And I've been trying to get you to follow this, to join this party and make a donation, Sustainable Australia. You haven't, right? Right. Because it's too much, it's too overwhelming. Fuck it, the system. I give up on the system, right? Fair enough. Maybe you're right. I've got a slingshot. I've seen. I've read David, David and Goliath. <laughs> here's here's what I've learned in the last two weeks. Yeah. I'm new at it already, but it's sort of coming to stark relief in the last two weeks. Looking at the microcosm of political action in this neighbourhood where we live, and it's not hard to extend it to understand the greater picture of the state, the country, the world. And that is, this world is governed by a power structure. You've actually been telling me this for years. And I said, no, we're a democracy. It's a power structure. The power structure is set up and sets itself up in such a way, it's, a, it's, an org, it's almost an organic system. It's self-sustaining. It's no individual who can blame for it. Where the power structure gets, this, those who hold power get their way. You've seen that here. Now, was power reflect cash? What, what is power equating to? He was. What is that? What, yeah, is, what, what makes the top of the castle? Cash. Money. Cash. Yeah, money. Okay. Money right. drives it all. Yeah. So you've got a political system, right? And I'm going to talk about the state of Victoria because that's what I'm involved in right now, and that's what I see. Well, let's go back. On. You're you've become involved. Yeah. Uh, you've always been very politically driven, and yeah. since coming back from Mexico, yeah, which were were. <laughs> We can really Take do. a breath, John. Take a breath. It's your show. You can ask me whatever you want. Well, we didn't really. You just railroaded me out of Mexico and straight here. But so now you are the campaign manager for so, Damien Cole, independent for South Barwon. So I was listening to this podcast called right. The Horse's Mouth. Yep. And this fellow Damien Cole was interviewed. I thought, fuck, this guy sounds good. Yep. I'm going to send him a message and say, listen, can I help you in any way? You the know, power of podcasting. Power of podcasting. Can I... Can I make a donation or hand out flowers or just something small and happy. And he said, oh, by the way, I've got a position open for a campaign manager. I said, oh, what's that? He said, oh, well, everything you just said plus whatever else we can think of. <laughs> <laughs> I said, all right, I'll just get back from Mexico. I've got some time. Yeah. So I've been getting involved with Damo and, you know, he's new to the game. I'm new to the game. We're sort of wandering I don't know that you're that new to the game. Well, I'm new to the sort of hands-on, on-the-ground aspect of the game. Like, I think about it a lot, but being part of a campaign with boots on the ground involves a whole lot of other metrics that I am new to. Yeah. And just trying to understand the issues. Like, Damo is part it's part of the fabric of this community. I, I mean that seriously. Like, to say that sounds like a throwaway line, but he's in all these sort of Greater Torquay Alliance, the 3228 residents, well, he's not part of them, but he works with them. Sane, surface and against or for the natural environment. <laughs> all these acronyms, I don't know. But yeah, yeah. He, he teaches 
underprivileged indigenous kids surfing every Sunday for five hours. Like the the guy's actually amazing. Yeah. Like he he walks the talk. Blah blah whatever. Anyway, so he's a candidate. He's a person, as you know him, who's worthy of getting behind. When he says he's going to do something, he's worth. He needs our support, and he's worthy of our support. So in getting involved with him, we're trying to understand what's the key issue here. One of the key issues that's gone on in this particular region, Torquay, Greater Surf Coast area, which is the bottom third of the electoral seat of South Barwon, which is what is the seat that's up for grabs in the state election coming up on November 24th. The key issue in this small part of the seat... I think that's mum's birthday. Yeah. Oh, 27. 27? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, keep going. Key issue for this, yeah. Is... um, the rate of rapid development, as you were saying, this town is changing rapidly. Um, it's growing in ways that are confronting and not in, not ag- not agreeable, to put it bluntly. And also in a way that people say, "Why is this happening? How is this happening?" But not everybody gets it. Some uh, someone young, I tongue in cheekly said, "Fucking developers yesterday," because someone asked me to move my car so they could drill a hole in the ground. Yeah, and someone overheard me jokingly say fucking developers and they and when i walked back they said you got a problem with development <laughs> i said well <laughs> a little bit yeah i mean i said that as a throwaway joke but yeah you, you like what's happening around here with all these states pop like but so they were shocked that i was against who was this person who i'm not going to say on on this because somebody you knew or yeah, a stranger yeah. no okay, someone buddy. i knew yeah right so I'm like, I'm, you know, there are... But, but again, here's, here's the narcissism of minor differences, this tribalism we were talking about before. Yeah. Damo is not against development. You don't need to be a, a, a rabid greenie who doesn't want... He wants sort of trees and greenery and nothing else. Blow up cars and blow up train stations and blow up aeroplanes, right? You don't have to be a developer who's like got a spreadsheet and wants to put a 25-foot skyscraper in Gilbert Street, Torquay, Right? But that's the way the conversation seems to flow. Someone like credit to Damo and to anyone who's got a sensible bone in their body. It's like, we're all in favour of development. The fact that we've got this technology that we're talking into, the fact that we drive cars, the fact that our house has got heating. I think I'm quoting Damo from his podcast. You you are. (laughs) (laughs) I'm listening to the guy talk too much. Yeah. Right? Development is, is, is fundamentally good, but it's not good when you mess up the balance between economy society and environment because ultimately we're all we survive in this environment we survive in this society we survive because of this economy you fuck up the mix it's like you know baking a cake and putting too much of something in and it ruins something that could be delicious right this going is going back we- to my orange county right that's what i'm so scared is going to happen here well that is what's happening we're on the path to that happening Give us, give us a few years, this will be the next Orange County. To the old timers around Torquay, it already looks like Orange County. Yes. But to us, it's got some ways to go, but it's heading there. Now, why is it heading there? Because we have a legislation system in the state government of Victoria which sets planning guidelines for these areas. And when you set planning guidelines, you and me want to build a house and we want to breach those guidelines, the council say, no way, buddy, you follow those guidelines. Okay. If you're a developer, you can put in whatever the hell you want and the council say, the, <laughs> the council staff are career developers. They're frustrated developers. They went to town planning school. 
that university. They learned to develop big projects. Their goal in life, their career ambition is to be involved in big projects. That's how they build their resume. That's how they build their career satisfaction. That's how they enjoy their day job. I've got a big, enormous task, which is grand and wonderful and big. They're like <laughs> any fucking human, right? So the developers send them their plans and they go, that looks good to us. The community hears about it, goes nuts, what the hell? But the community has been fighting in Torquay for 10 or 15 years. And the way the system is set up, developer proposes his plans, community goes, what the hell? The, the community leaders who get active and make the most noise, they get out and rustle the troops and make noise frankly exhaust themselves mm -hmm. developer says all right we'll listen to what you have to say we'll go back and amend it so they'll reduce it from 25 stories to 20 and tell you they're doing their you a favor mm -hmm. they'll go to council council for the most part is working for the community because they're elected by the community they say oh no we, we we reject this developer says okay i'll go to vcat and appeal to them because vcat's job victorian civil and civil minister of appeals tribunal um I got that wrong, but something. VCAT. VCAT, whatever. We all know it as VCAT. VCAT simply enforces the legislation that Apollies in Spring Street put together. So they will say, well, your proposal is clearly in breach of the guidelines, but they're guidelines only. The, the, the legislation Spring Street says it's, within, it's permissible, so boom, tick the box. And <laughs> this development in, of the RACV building mm. across the street here, Love it or hate it. Some people have gotten used to it. Some people have just accepted it. Um, some people still hate it. Hate it. Fair enough. That's your right. You know what the VCAT adjudicator, they call them a member, said about that building? Please tell me. When she was judging the aesthetic placement of it into the landscape of Torquay, mm -hmm. she said it nestles into the landscape. It looks like a fucking jail. She's... <laughs> She said a whole bunch of other shit. I'm going to fucking read them to you. No, don't. It's boring. Oh. Um, but this is the, the insanity of it. And the people of Spring Street for 10 years have been, every time a development comes along, they rant and rave and protest. The developer is rejected by council. They go to VCAT and they're approved. 83% of the time, that's the stat across the state. But it's happening everywhere. It's not Torquay. It's Melbourne. It's other seaside towns. So you say, what's the problem here? The problem is the legislation in Spring Street. So Damo is running because he wants to go to Spring Street and be a voice to affect change in that legislation. Now, he's an independent. Spring Street, just here. Spring Street. Spring Street. Melbourne. Right. Parliament House. Got it. Okay. <laughs> Not Spring Creek, Spring Street. Uh, this is Spring Street just over here as well. Really? Was, yeah. I'm thinking, fuck, there's a lot happening over there. <laughs> Let's go down there and get a coffee and talk to someone. Um, okay. Keep going. Yep. Got it now. As an independent, people say, oh, you're just one voice on a backbench. You know, what are you going to do? You need to be part of a party to get shit done. Well, I say to that voter, potential voter, look at Karen Phelps in the city of Wentworth in Sydney. She's basically going to bring our buddy, the PM's government undone because she's taken away his, his majority government. She effectively, with other crossbenchers, is the balance of power. She's the most powerful lady in the country right now, independent from Wentworth. In the state of Victoria, the seat of Shepparton, well, until 2014, was a safe liberal national national party seat for like the last seven decades or something ridiculous. When you're a safe seat for a political party, they don't give a shit about you because they've got an agenda at head office mm -hmm. and if they can rely on your vote, they won't give you anything for your vote. Mm -hmm. 
she saw the joke and said, you know what? It's about time this seat got some love and attention. I'm going to run. She threw out the incumbent national guy. And since she's been in office last four years as an independent, the sort of attention that has been lavished on that seat, that region, has been enormous. Lots of spending, lots of... uh, planning inclusion by the local communities and shires. None of this. What did she have enough of that made her run? What was happening in her area that made her stand up and go, you know what, I'm going to fucking run? Well, I'm going to get the number wrong, but it was some short period of time before the election, 35 days. Mm. So nothing. Mm. Somebody said, we've got to do something about this. About what, though? The fact that the seat was completely neglected in the political sphere of... Yeah, but so she parliament. didn't have a, like a pushing issue of like overpopulation or, no. you know, she got she was sick of the way that the council was running things. Or, no, she just thought, oh, here's an opportunity. No, no, she was upset about the way things had gone in the, in the neglect of her seat. If you're going to ask me the details, I'm going to come up with donuts because I don't know the detail. But yeah. I, don't, I know the headlines and I know of her. Um, but I can relate it. Can I give you the detail of what's going on in this seat? Because this is what... I'm South Bowen. South Bowen. Yeah. The history of Spring Creek, which is an example which illuminates what's going on. 2008, the Labor Party under Justin Madden, the ex-footballer, says Spring Creek Farm is open for development. Come in, boys. The community goes, what the fuck? This is not cool. 2,800 people wrote objections to the council. The council said, yeah, we're against it. Nonetheless, Justin Madden's decision stood. Fast forward a couple of years, but it was, on, it was sort of on hold. It hadn't been sort of completely greenlit yet. Fast forward a couple of years, Liberals are in office. Matthew Guy comes along. He says, oh, you know, you know we, we've got to develop this. The community says, no way. He says, all right, yep, I hear you. What I'll do, I'm going to handball this to an independent panel. Let's take it outside of the emotion of the debate. Let's give it an independent panel. This so-called independent panel, of course, came back and said, yeah, develop it. So Matthew Guy, under the cover of the so-called independent panel, says, yeah, develop it. Community's up in arms, blah, blah, blah. Goes on and on. The protests continue, the fights continue. Labor gets in in 2014. Fights continue, but Labor does nothing. Now, eight weeks before the 2018 election, guess what? Labor's saying, oh, we'll stop development here. Really? Will you? Is that Darren Cheeseman? Cheeseman? What, have you, what has Labor done for the last four years? Oh, well, I haven't had the seat. It's, you know, it's the Labor Party. I said, well, what's the Labor Party going to do? Well, we're going to stop development. We're going to bring that bring the boundary back to Duffield's Road. Okay, so that's what you're promising? Yes, that's what I'm promising. Me and Damo went to a, a, uh, a Liberal meeting in Bellarine last Thursday. The Liberal planning minister was there, the shadow minister for planning. And we said to him, so the Labor Party's promising to bring the town boundary back to Duffield's Road. Will you guys match that? And he said, well, hold on a minute. The candidate's been saying he'll do that, right? I said, yes. But head office of the Labor Party, Dan Andrews, hasn't said that yet, have they? No, they haven't. He said, well, if the candidate's gone rogue and saying this stuff without head office backing him up, it's a bit rich for me to be sort of matching a commitment that hasn't really been made. So Labor is leading with these half-baked promises, which, you know, down the track, head office can roll the candidate under the bus on. Liberals not even going to bother matching it because they see it as not necessary. The only person who's standing up for this community is Damo saying, I will go to Spring Street as a candidate and work like fuck, work like the, the independent person in Shepparton has done for the last four years to have some influence on in what goes on. Otherwise, all this effort 
all this protest, all this angst, is for naught because the Liberal Labor representatives, they might be great people, I don't know, but for all their efforts, they actually are not working for you. They're beholden to the party bosses in Spring Street, who in turn are beholden to the developer lobby, who, given the green light from their buddies in Spring Street, are sent down here to milk this community for the serious money they earn, chopping up adjacent farmland and bushland for tight-knit, cheek-by-jowl residential housing. Yeah, well, yeah, there, there lies my frustration. <laughs> you know, like I, I can't articulate it like that because I don't really know, but I can feel it and I can yeah. see it and it's visceral around here. You can't drive two blocks without being a lollipop man telling you to stop because something's been dug up yeah. or something's been cleared yeah. or there's a new footpath being put in because the other one was just a little bit yeah. too dirt. Yeah. yeah. And I like the dirt. Yeah. I dig it. Anyway, um, all right. I don't want this just to be a big political bashing, but it, it's 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 good. I'm <laughs> it's really. All I got. I'm, it's I'm, all no, I got. man. It's good. I'm glad that uh, that you and Damo have found each other. I've got to add one more thing before we get this topic. I of apologize. Course. Yes, we've come this far down the road. Why stop? The overwhelming pressure that causes this to occur is population growth. That stick, that push factor that I keep banging on about, right? Mm-hmm. So if someone says, you're just being selfish, you don't want to share this great resource, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. You don't want other people to buy houses down here, blah, blah. You know what? Fair enough. The pull factor exists. Every Aussie has a right to come here. I don't agree that you put 250,000 people in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane every year and force people with a big stick to come down to Torquay. I think that's out of order. And then people say, well, we need it for the economy. This idea that building houses is a sustainable foundation for economy is a pyramid scheme that's going to collapse. Maybe not yet, but it will. And it's lazy economics, it's lazy economic management, and for the lifestyle that we all enjoy, why would we sell that out for that? And we have these idiots in, in, in Canberra saying, oh, we need it for GDP. Well, you know what? Do the math. GDP has been growing strongly for many years, but GDP per person is going the other way. So the average schmuck is not benefiting from this GDP scenario that they're all building. The only people that benefits... Back that up a second. Yeah. You say that GDP is moving in one direction. Positive, yep. For, for, for how, what, on a pie chart? How, how can it be moving one way and then as an individual be moving the other way? I don't understand that. Okay, so the Australian economy mm. in the last many years has been growing positively. Each right. year is that because up. of international trade and various things or is that because... It's because of healthy international trade, demand for our exports. It's because we're building all these houses. It's because... But the factories in Geelong are shutting down. True, but we're getting plenty of people coming in and buying our real estate injecting money in that fashion, people building new homes, paying for tradies and builders to build new homes, developers building new things. The economy is humming along. Mm-hmm. So add up all those numbers of, that, of all that economic activity and the number is, has been growing year on year. So the treasurer of the- GDP. Gross, gross domestic de- product. Profit or product? Product. Yeah. So every year that number- it's basically a measure of the scale of the economy, the size of the economy. Every year it's getting a bit bigger. So it's like your household income every year gets a bit bigger. It's a good thing. It's moving in the right direction, right? The trouble is 
the population of Australia, which is supporting that by people coming in, buying more houses, blah, 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 has been growing as well. So the average Aussie, their share of this economic pie mm. is the GDP divided by the number of Australians, mm -hmm. and you get a number. Mm -hmm. Because the rate of increase in GDP has actually been a little growing a little slower than the rate of increase in the number of people, the GDP divided by number, number of people has been going backwards. So the average Aussie, you and me, share of the economic pie has been getting smaller. Mm. So I say to the Well, that's why I like most people, a lot of people I know now can't afford to buy into the housing market. I can't. No. I'm happy to rent. It's fine. Are you? Yeah. I mean, it works. Man, I just like to say it's very European. <laughs> and that's what they tell you. You're living a European lifestyle. Thanks. That's what I tell myself. <laughs> The government never know what it, it told me that, but a lot of people in Europe rent. <laughs> but um, I don't know what the but was. But what I did do like is um, our forefathers yeah. could be a Bricky's labour, yeah. buy a house, have a wife, stay at home, cook for the kids, and put the kids through school. Yep, yeah. can't do it anymore. On a brickies labour up wage. The only people who can afford to have a bunch of kids these days mm. are the very rich and the very poor. No, that's not fair because I know a lot of people who sit in the middle who have kids. Okay. True. The way our society is structured and the way it's evolving, we have a culture of investing more in our kids, that's for sure. Mm. So the cultural attitude is to have kids less kids. Kids are a commodity. Kids as a commodity, yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. But if you look, if you look at, there's always exceptions. But if you look as a general statement, generally we see that the people who have more kids are the very rich and the very poor. The very poor because they're very happy. They don't give a shit. Money is no option. Council housing is no option. Education is paid for by the government. Blah blah blah. The very rich because they can throw money at private school fees, no problem. The middle class is squeezed. When you say you can't buy a house, those who can buy a house are struggling under the way of their mortgage payments because the house is so damn expensive. They're working more hours to pay it off, blah, blah, blah. They feel under pressure. They feel they can't have more than two kids. And you know what? They probably don't want more than two kids because our cultural attitude has changed. But well, and nor do we need more than two kids as a globe anyway at the moment, I don't believe, you know, like overpopulation and the saturation of the sucking up of resources, we should not be having five children. Okay, well... I'm not sure if I asked you this directly before, but do you think Australia should have a sort of a flat population policy to the extent that policies can affect it? Uh, I don't know what you mean by a flat Sorry. population policy, but I worry about the exponential growth of humans yeah. on Earth mm -hmm. and the diminishing natural resources that we have yeah. on land and in the oceans and under the ground. Yeah and the sustainability of okay. humans. And then you, sorry, I'm just going to fucking throw a real curveball in here because I just saw some shit on AI today yeah. that just spooked the shit out of me. Yeah. And then you want to, you know, where the fuck and where we sit in this sea of like weirdness. I feel like we, you know, it's either AI is going to come in, there's going to be like, you know, I don't want to be a doomsday dude, but like, <sighs> <laughs> I, I would not. You know, I would like to be living in the fifties when things are a little, the throttle was off a little less. 
You know what I mean? I feel <laughs> like we're... <laughs> The fucking 50s. Are you serious? Well, I don't know, dude, but like <laughs> things, you know. I like to say that the 80s were pretty cool. But All right, 80s. <laughs> I had fluoro. We got fluoro. And, uh, no, but you, do, you know what I mean? Like it's fine. Life's great right now. Technology's fun. But nonetheless, there's a, there's a, there's a for me. Uh, we, we can do that. This is the nonsense. We're told we don't have, we don't have a say in this. We're told. We're conditioned to believe by who I don't know, by sort of a societal pressure that what's going on around us is, in, is inevitable. And a lot of people say, yeah, it's inevitable. Why should I fight it? Why should I worry about in the realm of everything else I'm worrying about? That I cannot control. That's going to happen anyway. Be Zen and be, you know, do what you can do. Go to yoga class. Go to yoga. But I, I say that, I take that word inevitable and I say it's been misapplied. The word that should be applied is domination. So when you're an adult human being with your own brain and your own sort of fully developed faculties, if you are being fed this line and believing this line that it's ine- inevitability, uh, yeah. you're suffering domination. You're suffering a sort of compression. Oh, you're a submissive. Of, yeah. The dom and sub. <laughs> I'm serious, John. <laughs> I, I get it. You are being one submissive little bitch. Well, I'm not. Yeah. No, I know. I know. You and Damo are the doms. <laughs> We're fighting these fuckers. Um, yeah, no, I see. I, and I, I, I do see, but it, like, as you, it's difficult to... It's because there's a power. There's a power behind it. And the, this, is, this is what I see in the, the activist community in Torquay, who are some of the most motivated, hardworking, generous folks who have a view on their community and they want to support their community and they want to lead the charge. They've been fighting for years. It's amazing. But who they're up against is those who hold the power in our community, and that's the business donor end of town in Spring Street who pay for the political campaigns. Like Liberal and Labor don't exist without donations, and there's been some some change of legislation occurring real-time now which seeks to limit the donor influence on these parties. Well, what about in the, sorry to cut you off, but in the US, yeah, every election since elections have yeah. been running yeah. has been won by the campaign with the most money. Is that right? That's what I've been led to believe. I think Trump won with less money, but maybe he was an exception. Okay, well, he might be an yeah. exception, but, but I've yeah. been told that whoever is president is the campaign with the most money. Your, 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 point. Point, your point is good. Yeah. Same in Australia. Money drives these things. So if you're a politician, maybe with the best of intentions, you can actually cannot actually function. You cannot actually campaign against your opposition or even get your message out regardless of opposition unless you've got money to pay for it. And as such... Our system, these politicians are entirely vulnerable, completely vulnerable to someone who's prepared to write a check. And you know what? This is, the, this is how perverse it is. Me and Damo were just talking about this. You're a developer. Well, you're anybody with a business interest. We don't just need to knock developers. Unions have, have donation power and influence over the parties as well, blah, blah, blah. Um, you write a check. You might write a check for 10 grand, 30 grand, 50 grand, but not much more than that. That is so meaningful to a political candidate in terms of their ability to buy airtime, you know, Facebook algorithm, elevation, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. That's so meaningful that your contract that's going to earn you tens of millions of dollars gets a leg up for your measly donation of 30 grand. 
Like, I don't know about you, but if we've all got our price, my price is higher than that. <laughs> no, but like this is like this is not groundbreaking shit. Like I've known that this is you know we all know that this is what happens. Right. You know whether you can see it or not, you know it happens. Right. You like to think that we live in this. It's not. It's business. It's mm. commerce. Everything is down to commerce. Mm. Seemingly at the moment. And I know that that's not fair because there's pockets of beautiful people around and we are very lucky to have, you know, everywhere there's beautiful... Most people at a core level are awesome, mm. I, I do think. But we get trapped or stuck in like the mortgage or the dirt. Da, da, da. Yeah. And in the end, we've got to make a decision and we're going to feed our family or we're going to feed, you know... Um, I don't know who else you can feed. But... yeah you got to make a decision and most of the time it comes down to now lately i feel like i got to get mine yeah you know and that's i can understand that from a person's point of view mm. because mm. who they've got to feed their family and pay the mortgage it's yeah. tricky i understand and it's hard that we're lucky we're single and we have some time on our, our hands to to be passionate in a certain direction but i think some people are just like you can't even think about this stuff because mm. they're too busy worrying about where the fuck am i how am i going to pay a bill yeah look you're absolutely right can i can i just sort of edit that slightly and Please. say nobody in australia very few people in australia are struggling to feed their kids most of us are trying to pay off that new car and pay off that overpriced mortgage which is massively is a massive pressure. I'm not discounting that, but it's not life and death. No, we're very lucky. I mean, I was just as you were talking before. I was looking at our microcosm and the little drama that we are having yeah. here. But then you could go and look at anywhere else in the world and feel, fuck, we're lucky. Yeah. But you know, like, how long are we going to be lucky for? Look, we. At the end of the day, we get the government we deserve. And if the government we deserve, that we vote for, that we let remain in power because of inevitability or domination or just trying to pay the mortgage next month. Okay, so then back it up. Why, tell me this, why? And I might be wrong, but my, my, my sources tell me. <laughs> my sources tell me. I, I think you're right. Uh, no, my sources tell me <laughs> that the Surfco Shire yeah. made a profit of a million dollars okay. in the last financial. Probably. I don't know, but probably. No. Well, let's just say that it's true. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it is or it isn't, but I was uh, what I was told, mm. that they came in over. Mm. A shire mm. is supposed to be for the people and be a, a, a non-for-profit, right? Are they not? Or are they allowed to make a profit? I don't think they're not allowed to make a profit, but you're right. They're first and foremost to serve the people in the community. Not to make a profit off them, but if they they achieve, they they probably called a surplus, an operating surplus or something. I don't know. They're definitely not meant to make losses. We'll grant them that much. And if they do make a profit, they've got to put it back into the community in some shape or form, right? And all right, one more, one more. No, no, but no, on that well, thing though, just yeah. on that, we touched on it earlier. Think about the people within that shire office, the CEO of the shire, all the way down to the employees working there. These are the guys that went to town planning school. What sort of boring career when you're running a, running a, a, a council office in a council area where all you're doing is looking after the roads, collecting the rubbish and collecting rates? How boring is that? Does, that doesn't grow your career. That's not something you're proud to tell your kids about. It's kind of dull. Yeah, but who the fuck goes into that wanting an exciting career? 
In, they do. Do they? I bet you. Yeah. Look at these. Look at the look at the Shark Council annual report, and the, there's a document called G21 Growing Geelong Infrastructure. What do you think report. happens at the Christmas party? The usual, you know. Really. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I don't know. But these people are career people and you get career satisfaction by building whatever you do. Whatever business you do, whatever hobby you do, you get satisfaction by building. They're yeah. human. Yep. To them, they're building something. It's exciting to live in a shire, the fastest growing shire in Australia. Is it? Is that what this is? I don't know. It's one of. I was hoping you were going to say yes because then I was like, oh, well, I thought I thought it was but then I went to Billerine last week and they're up in arms because they think theirs is the fastest growing and they hate it. This shit is going on across the entire country, but for whatever reason, voices are not stepping up to sort of collectively say enough is enough. It boggles my mind. Mm. Boggles my mind. Melbourne. Everyone in Melbourne says this is out of control. Everyone in Sydney says it's out of control. But we're all just taking it well, like subs, got good little subservient fucks. People like Damo step up. Well, I get it. Yeah. No, but even it's tough for Damo to sort of say, what's the source of the problem? The source of the problem is population pressures in Melbourne, which cause population pressures down here, right? Mm. It's difficult to have that debate because the fuckers out there will call you a racist. The other fuckers over there will call you an economic vandal. And it's kind of like, well, hold on. I kind of like my life. Is oh, it ne- what about quality of life? Well, we're giving you a quality of life with more cash. Yeah. More people, more cash. Yes. And then you do the GDP per capita. Well, I don't analysis. know, you know. I, I, yeah. yeah. How's your, my, my stress monitor is how's, buzzing. How is your stress? Is it really buzzing? I've got one. Really. I know you've got a stress monitor, but I don't want to know is it buzzing, is it? It's buzzing off the hook. I think it ran out of battery. Great. <laughs> um, all right, changing gear. How's your diet at the moment? What's going on with your training and stuff? I know you keep fit and healthy. Came back, I came back from Mexico, yeah. fittest I've been in years, yeah. and it's gone to shit since then. What do you mean? I haven't been surfing much. I haven't been running on the beach much. I've just had a sort of... You know, it's tough to leave that environment where there's great weather, great waves every day, not all day, but throughout the day, and you're living on the beach, so you literally walk 40 yards and you're in the, in the waves, in the water. You come back here, this place is awesome, don't get me wrong, but it's an adjustment. The weather's not as good. It's not bad, but it's not as good. The waves aren't bad, but they're certainly not as consistent, and you have bad patches. You get involved in a political campaign, blah, blah, blah. So you've got next weekend, I believe, you've got a day down on the green. What is that? Have you got some bowling? <laughs> Let's do it. Give it a plug. Give it a plug. Barefoot balls for Damo yep. are running this Sunday, the 28th of October. This Sunday, the 28th, at the Torquay Bowls Club. Yep. Yep. Um, just opposite Fisho's. Yep. If you want to bowl, please come down. It's 30 bucks a ticket. Yep. Most of that money goes to the, to the campaign as a donation. If you don't want to bowl or you're a tight ass, come in and throw us five bucks at the door and just be part of it. We're going to have great raffles. We've got a Morris Cole surfboard, uh, Darren, Darren Noisy, uh, Bells, Bells Beach print, gift packs from Modem, Rip Curl. Really? Yeah. Everyone's behind. Of... Awesome. Right. To varying degrees. Yeah. Uh, that's I'll be down there. That's great. Sunday the twenty eighth. So if you're around, come down. Bring your brothers. Is there any um, Is there any live music? 
There'll be a DJ. There'll be a DJ. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Who? <laughs> I don't know. Somebody who's apparently really good, but I will have no idea. Yeah. All right. Just before we wrap this up, have you done any research on AI? Uh, not specifically, but I've watched Westworld. No, all right. For not, real? No, I don't really know what Westworld is, but is Westworld when the AI have taken over? Try to. Try to. It's kind of like a modern version of... I was going to say Terminator, but it's a completely different approach, but it's yeah. in the same direction. I just I saw an, an, an interesting thing today with Elon Musk and um, Joe Rogan having a chat, and Elon, he was just he was quite worried. And it was like, if you, I'll show you, the, I'll send you the link, but if you watch the twenty five minutes of them talking, yeah, and you watch his body language, yeah, he's not telling everything that he knows. Ah. And his body language to me doesn't look good. And then when, if you look at what he knows as one of the, I would say he's probably one of the most influential people on the planet at the moment outside of politics. And if you look at his body language, what he says and what he knows, it, it look, didn't look very cool. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it was the first time that I'd really given it some space in the mind. Yeah, it is amazing. It is amazing, and it's probably something to be fearful of. Um, that's that's probably for the next podcast. Yeah, great man. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, John. Yeah. All right. Bang. All right, there you have it. There's the chat with the grey man, the grey nomad, the grey one, the one that sneaks under the radar, unnoticed by the SAS. Um, wherever you are, whoever you are, thanks for listening. I hope you are doing well. Um, you know, it's not all doom and gloom, but we are living in a times are a changing. But I suppose if you're going to go down the path of Bob Dylan was singing that, what, 30 years ago? Times are a changing. They're always a changing. They're always a changing. So, um, giddy up. All right. Adios. <laughs>